This morning's reading is found in Psalm 42, reading from the NIV. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with this God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So I, I like what I like about summer is we can be a little bit more laid back. So I'm going to actually be a little laid back this morning and come down here and ask you a very simple question, a question that you get asked all the time, right? And I'm gonna ask for some responses, right? So it's very simple, it's very easy. You got the mic on, Hunter? So I'm just gonna walk up to random people and ask a question. Larry, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Fine, thank you, all right. Sue, how are you doing today? Good, I'm glad to be here. All right, good. Who else can I pick on this morning? Eric, Eric, how are you today? Rejoicing. Good, good. I won't pick on anybody I don't really know or give me the evil eye, right? You know, like, Lily, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. So, so I asked that question, and what were the responses? They were positive. They were, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm great. I did like rejoicing. That's good to be in worship and rejoicing. Now I'm going to ask a different question, all right? I'll start with Larry again. I might go to different people. Larry, how is it with your soul? You, you hesitated. 
Why is that a hard question? I'm trying to think of the right word. Ah, gotcha. It's a little bit different question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just picking on Larry. I'm not going to go around anybody else ask that question, but I want you to notice something. What changed? Something changed when I changed that question. It wasn't that much of a difference. It was, how are you doing? And see, when we ask, get asked that question, we typically think of how I'm feeling emotionally, physically. You know, if I, maybe I feel good today when I got out of bed and I had a cup of coffee, so I'm great, you know. Um, or maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place or the circumstances of my life are good. But when we ask that question, how is it with your soul, it makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think deeper about what's really going on with you. And that's actually a well-known question in the Wesleyan uh, background. You know, the Wesleyan church, free Methodism is a part of the Wesleyan movement. It's a key question that Wesley asked people, and we still ask it today. How is it with your soul? Because that's a different question. It takes us to a different place. And what you'll see is that it's hard to answer sometimes. And how many people, when I asked that question, said, oh, I'd have a hard time answering that question? How many, does that make harder, right? So I'm going to put this down, Hunter. You can go to my, this one. So I was thinking about that. And see, part of it is, is that it's hard to figure out the soul. Have you ever, like, put a bunch of ropes in a, in a container, like a five-gallon bucket or somewhere in your garage or shed, and you just keep throwing the ropes in there or maybe extension cords, you know? Or Christmas lights, you know, you, when you get the Christmas lights out, and they're just kind of like this big tangled ball, right? And so a lot of times we think of our feelings, our thoughts, uh, our physical life, our minds, all these things, we, they're actually all jumbled together. And somewhere in here is our soul, right? And it's hard to figure out how, which one of these strands is the soul, right? Because that's our, our Western way of thinking, right? We, we want to take piece everything out and compartmentalize everything and look at each individual part. We want to look at the mind as different than the heart and the heart is different than the soul and the soul is different than the, the body. And, but in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews, they saw it all together as a whole. So that's why it's hard sometimes to answer that question, right? How is it with your soul? Because you're asking me to pull out something that's a little bit deeper in me. It's not just about how I'm feeling physically or how I'm doing emotionally or how I'm feeling today, or what I'm thinking about, whether positive or negative, it's really going deeper. And there's, I would say to you that the soul is, is in there. It's just sometimes hard to see. But you can, there's a strand within you that is your soul. Now science has tried to, there's science that some scientists say the soul doesn't exist, it's just you're a conglomeration of all these things, and that's your soul. But I want you to think about your soul this way. Uh, there are scientists that also believe the soul does exist and philosophers who do believe in the existence of the soul. But I think about the soul this way. There's something about you that hasn't changed from the time you were born till today. You know what I'm saying? Like think about it. Your, your, your daily feelings and thoughts and emotions change on a daily basis. But there's a part of you that from the time you were born till today is you. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your experiences, regardless of how you're feeling, you exist. And you've been you from the time you were born. Do you, know what I'm, do you get a sense of that as I talk about that? That there's this unified whole or essence of who you are 
That's your soul. That's who God created you to be. That's the essence of who you are. Your soul is the essence of all those other things. They're influenced by those things, but you are you, and there's nobody like you, and that's a good thing. And God loves you. God doesn't always love the way you behave. God doesn't always love the way you think. God doesn't always love some things in, that are going on in your life. God even doesn't even love the circumstances of your life when God watches and sees bad things happening to you. God doesn't love that. But God loves you. It's the essence of who you are. God loves your soul and who God created you to be. Notice that the psalm today is a conversation with the soul. Did you notice that? Six times the psalmist says, my soul. It's like the psalmist is having a discussion with the soul, the inner part of them, their lives, and they're asking this question. They keep asking that question, what's the question? What's the one question we all ask when we go through times of difficulty, disturbance, tough circumstance? What, what do we ask? Why? Do you also notice how often repeated? I love the way that Esther read that this morning. Why? Why? Do you ever get to those moments in your life where you're just lamenting to God, where you're talking to God and saying, God, why? Why? And there's no answer. And that's part of that feeling of being downcast and disturbed in my soul. Why, God, am I feeling this? Why is my soul so disturbed? Why is my soul so downcast? What's going on, God? And there's, so the psalmist actually starts out with this beautiful thing. It's actually a little background. It's a lament, um, asking the why. Laments are whys and complaints to God. I hope you know it's okay to ask why. I hope you know it's okay to complain to God, that God listens to us. It's also a part of the second book of Psalms. There are four books in the book of Psalms. Psalm, this is the second book, which are referred to as the Elohistic Psalms, meaning they use the word Elohim rather than Yahweh throughout these psalms for God. And you also see some other thing. If you look at the very beginning, if you got your Bible app open or you got a Bible out, you'll see that it's called a maskil, which means to simply think about this, contemplate this. And it was written and attributed to the sons of Korah. They're like the boy band of the day, right? You know, the sons of Korah. I'm kidding. They were Levitical musicians in the temple. They led temple worship. These are temple musicians and worship leaders that have written this psalm. Notice they start out the psalm. The psalm starts out this way, that well-known part, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist is saying there's this that the soul thirst for God the same way a deer thirsts for water in a barren land. Now, if you remember, where this is written is in a barren land, a dry land, not in an abundant land, not in the Pacific Northwest, where everything's, well, not green right now. The grass isn't green, but you get what I'm saying. Plenty of water around. This is more of a barren land and a thirsting for God. And the soul, that's the thing about the soul, is that it's the one part of us that will thirst for God. It's the one part of us that will only be satisfied when we connect with God and have a relationship with God. It won't, nothing else will work for that soul. 
And it's the same way. Jesus actually said that. If you remember in the New Testament, he was talking to a woman at a well, and he said to her this. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus took her back to this idea of water and the conquering of thirst that we're longing for. And we know that the woman at the well, what was she doing? She had been searching her whole life to, for someone to fill her soul, right? And sometimes it takes a whole lifetime <laughs> to figure this out. You know, the only thing that will help is this connection with God. How many people, when you travel, you go to the hotel, you know, and what's the fir- one of the first things you do after unpacking in a hotel room now. I mean, we didn't used to do this. Think about this. 20 years ago, we weren't doing this, but today we do this when we get in the hotel. What do we do? Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi right? You guys know this. You guys have been to hotels, right? So you get in the hotel, and th- this happens every time. My wife and I were just away last week, and we were in a hotel, and, and what's the kind con- so the first thing we do, we try and get our devices on the hotel Wi-Fi, right? And what happens is you open up your Wi-Fi, and you get this list of connections, right? And we're like, which one is it? Which one do we connect to? You know, and then we try one, and then it asks us for information, and then we're trying, well, I don't know, put my last name in, put the room number in, I don't know. We, it takes us like 15 minutes to figure out, we're having this camera, mine's hooked up, yours hooked up, you know, we connected, right? And I think about this connection, and then we want to get connected, and then we lose the connection, and we try and reconnect, and that's always happening if you don't pay the fee in the hotel room. I don't pay fees, so I'm a, I'm a little frugal. But, you know, you're always trying to go through this. I think the soul is kind of that way, right? And, and we keep trying these other connections, right? We keep trying the other Wi-Fi signals that are around us, that are available to us, and we wonder why our soul is still downcast. We wonder why our soul is still disturbed. Because the psalmist knows that the only thing, the only remedy will be that connection to God. That is the only connection that will help with the state of the soul when it is lamenting, when it is disturbed, when it is downcast, like a deer panting, thirsting for water that the New Testament says. And Jesus says, I will provide for you. Jesus said, if you have relationship with me, I will take care of your soul abundantly. A lot, like a spring of water. Now, the psalmist, notice that the psalmist in, it, in the lament is trying to think about how to reconnect to God. How can, it, can the psalmist reconnect to their creator, to this relationship? So it starts out remembering, what if I remember worship, right? That's where the psalmist goes first. I, it says, these things I remember, as I pour out my soul, as I'm bringing my soul before, I, how I used to go, I want you to notice that, used to go to the house of God. That somehow this person, this, this, this downcast soul, that they've lost their connection to worship, and they've lost their connection to worshiping God, and they used to go to the house of God. They used to go to worship under the protection of the mighty one. Also, I want you to notice this, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Shouts of praise. How many of you have been to a sporting event? And you guys know where I'm going with this, right? How many of you shout 
at a game or a TV. Right, yeah. You shout, right? It might not be good shouts, but you're shouting, right? You know, I remember as a kid going to an NBA basketball game, and um, I was at the, I went with a friend and his dad in an NBA game, and we were watching not a very good team. And so the whole, the lights were on in the arena, and everybody was kind of subdued. Everybody's more interested in the hot dogs and the chili dogs and the, all those things, right? And we're just, everybody's hanging out very calmly, watching this game, watching the team lose. Not a lot of shouting. But after the game, uh, we stayed after the game because there was a boxing match after the game. I'd never been to a boxing match. I was probably in elementary school at the time. And they wanted to see, the, the dad wanted to see this boxing match. And then they changed the arena. 30 minutes later, the lights are dark. The lights go on in the middle of the, of the arena, and there's this ring. And these two boxers come out, and they start fighting. And this crowd that had been sitting around, chill, eating chili cheese dogs, was all now on their feet, yelling, shouting, throwing their fists into the air as this boxing match was happening. I remember that as a kid because I remember the first emotion I had was fear, right? The aggression level in that whole arena just went way up. And I was a little kid among these big people that were yelling aggressively and shaking their fists and punching the air. And I thought, whoa, new experience for Matt. But you know what I found myself doing? After a couple rounds, had my fists up in the air, I was saying, yeah, get him, get him, you know? And I, there was something about being in that environment that I just get swept up in, right? Now, I've never been to a boxing match again. It's not my thing. Um, yeah, I'll just keep it there. <laughs> Thing is, I want you to notice there's something about coming together, whether for good reasons or negative reasons, that when we're with other people shouting, praising God, joy-filled, what does it do to us? So I, what I'm saying is that if you can go into a room and feel aggression, <laughs> you can also go in a room with people and feel worship and engage in worship, and be encouraged in worship. And the soul is longing for that. The soul is longing to worship God because it's a connection to God. Now, I also want to say this in the midst of that because I've been around church a long time, too long. And what I found, too, that happens that the psalmist is also trying to, to remember, but also we're going to look in a little bit ahead in the psalm in a minute, but I also want you to notice this. One thing I've learned about worship is I can't go back and recreate a worship experience I already had. And as much as I would like to do that, I can't. Like, uh, you know, for example, my wife and I will be out and we'll see, little, we'll see young parents with two little kids, right? We had two daughters. And we'll, and we'll have this moment, you know, where we go, oh, remember when the kids were little, right? Anybody here remember, you have those moments, right? I know some of you do. Some of you aren't there yet, sorry. For those of you who don't have kids yet, do you remember that Christmas, right? Remember that Christmas when? Or remember that date that we had? Or remember that, that experience, that family vacation we took? And, and somehow there's a part of us that wants to go back and recreate that experience. But you know, my wife and I can't go back and have kids. In fact, we don't want to go back 
going to have kids. But we remember, right? The psalmist is saying, I remember, right? And I think in the church a lot of times we're trying to remember, we remember things that happen in worship, and we want to go back and recreate those worship experiences again, but we can't. We tried to do that one time. I was at Beach Week for a week in Ocean City, and we were there with a bunch of friends, and there was actually a thousand friends. We had a thousand friends at the time. I didn't know all of them personally. But we were spending, and we had, you know, you've heard me talk about being coaching volleyball there, beach volleyball there, soccer. You know, we heard speakers and worship together. And so a thousand youth in Ocean City at the beach for a week, right? Great experience for a teenager. And then some of my friends and I, we were a little bit older and we were over 18. And so we decided we were going to go back to Ocean City and we were going to go back to that uh, experience. So about eight of us traveled to Ocean City. We're thinking this would be great, you know, Remember all the fun we had, right? So we went back. We were trying to, what we were trying to do was we were trying to recreate the experience that we had. But we learned even as 19, 20-year-olds that when we got there, it wasn't the same. First of all, there wasn't a thousand other teenagers. There wasn't a beach volleyball tournament. There were, it rained all weekend, right? And so we kind of, we had a good time. We had a good experience, but it wasn't the same because you can't recreate an old experience. And I want you to notice that that's where the psalmist goes next. Here's the key verse. The key verse here is the one that's repeated in the psalm. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? I want you to hear this next. Put your hope in God. Reconnect to God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So there's this hope of a future connection in worship a future experience of worship again that this can be renewed that this can't be recreated but I can reconnect to God and that's a difference so what the psalmist knows is that I've got to reconnect to God I've got to go back to worshiping my God I've got to reconnect my soul back to worshiping my creator not recreating but reconnecting you know the human brain actually thrives on new experiences. Did you know that? That they, there's a whole lot of research around the neuroplasticity, which you've, we've talked about before, but the brain, the human brain thrives on new things. And so there's something about our brains that wants to experience a new connection. And that actually when we experience new experiences, our brains actually start to develop new connections. And the more we experience those connections, what happens is our brains begin to build highways, neural pathways, neural highways in our brains. So, for example, have you noticed, uh, those of you who've been around Seattle for a long time, has the traffic changed any since you've been here in the past 20 years, right? Notice that when traffic picks up on a particular road, they start to think about how do we widen the road, right? You know, how do we build a tunnel? How do we tear down an aqueduct and build a tunnel, right? How do we get people moving faster through there? How do we get more volume through there, right? It's the same with the brain. When the brain has a new experience and new neurons start firing, it starts to create a new highway in your brain, a new pathway in your brain. And your brain actually stays healthier if you're constantly doing that, if you're constantly creating these new neural pathways. And it actually is healthy for our brains to create these, to experience new things. And so I think a lot of times, sometimes what we need in our relationship with God is new experiences of God, not recreating old experiences of God, but how can I reconnect to God in a new way. 
Sometimes it's, there are ways that I reconnect, ways I've connected to God in the past, but sometimes I need to expose myself to new ways. Uh, I know when my soul was pretty dry and parched, uh, I took sabbatical. And on my sabbatical, the first week of my sabbatical, you know what I did? I spent a week in a monastery in silence. I had never done that before because I knew I needed a new experience of God to re- help me reconnect with God. It wasn't that the old experiences weren't working. It was just that I knew that I needed to expose myself to new ways of connecting with God that might help me. And it did. And it did. doesn't mean I'm going to spend every summer at a monastery. I have not gone back. But it helped. See what I'm saying? It helped. So think about that. In fact, one neurologist said this. When people... When people stop practicing new things, the brain will eventually eliminate or prune the connecting cells that form the pathways. If you stop going to worship long enough, stop praying long enough, stop studying the scriptures long enough, stop connecting to God for long enough, guess what happens? The brain starts to lose it. You, wasn't there a phrase somebody said one time, use it or lose it, right? Right? Connect with God. Get reconnected to God so you don't lose it and you get to the point where your soul was asking the question, why? Why so downcast? The other thing the psalmist tries to do is remember creation. So one is remembering worship, but notice the next thing. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you, where? From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Here's this idea of going back to creation and reconnecting with God in creation. And so we see that the psalmist may have actually gone to Mount Mazar. Now, Mount Mazar was a smaller mountain next to Mount Hermon, which was the big mountain. So think of Mount Hermon as like Rainier, right? And there's probably another, well, there aren't, that's not a good example because there's no other mountains around Rainier. But if you can imagine like a smaller mountain next to Rainier, right? And so Mount Mazar is like that mountain that's kind of dwarfed by the site of Rainier. But if you go there the right time of year and you go in the late spring or early summer and you go, what's happening off of Rainier or any of our mountains in that time of year? What's happening? What's melting? The snow, right? And when that snow melts, what does it create? These just torrents of water, right? Uh, We were in Rocky Mountain National Park this summer, and I think I got a picture. Here's a picture of Alberta Falls in the background. This is my selfie. Sorry I didn't shave that day or the day before or the day before that. Um, And my daughter's in the background. But you can see the torrential water because it had snowed two weeks before we got there, and the snow was melting and creating this huge waterfall. That's the image that the psalmist is giving us, right? That's the image that that the psalmist may have gone to Mount Mazar for a retreat. And this psalm actually could have been written there. And that, that because they would have been seeing the wildlife, the deer panting for the water, would have seen the waterfalls coming off the snow mount on Mount Hermon, on Mount Mazar. And those waters fed the Jordan, which is again mentioned in the psalm. And so I get this picture of the psalmist out in creation trying to reconnect to God. And we know that when we get out into God's creation, it does something to what? Our soul, right? 
when you get out there, there's something that just helps your soul, right? Now, a lot of times we'd be tempted to think, and I've heard this from people, I don't need to go to church. I just go out with my fishing rod and go trout fishing. I can connect with God. Or I don't need to go to worship with everybody else. I can just go on a hike and I can reconnect with God. And you know what? They're right. But you connect in a different way. And the psalmist is not saying creation or gather with the community and worship. The psalmist is saying both. Our soul needs to get together with the community and praise together and worship together. And our soul needs to be in creation and connect with God. Our souls actually need both those things, not just one of them. And so I think about that, that we do need the worship community to help encourage us and strengthen us when our souls are downcast and disturbed. And then I think another great verse here in the psalm, and this is where we'll start to take a deep, deeper look and wrap it up, but here, this part of the psalm where it says, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I think this is the heart of the psalm. <laughs> I think this is the heart of the psalmist, that even though downcast, even though disturbed, there's something that they're acknowledging, that they're aware of, that this idea that the Lord directs his love towards them. There is nothing, nothing that will renew our souls like the love of God. When you are able to rest in this rock-solid fact of faith that God loves you, your soul, when you rest in that, when you know that, when you believe that, it changes your soul. You know, I, I, we live in a world today that is... Uh, lives on rechargeable batteries, you know, right? I have a rechargeable lawnmower now with a battery. I've got drills that are rechargeable. We have weed whackers that are rechargeable. And let's not forget this, right? So when this dies, what happens to your soul, right? <laughs> you know? I remember going to the Apple store this summer because the battery died. I mean, like, died, died. Wouldn't hold a charge. And so I had to take it to the Apple store, right? And, uh, and I had to hand it to them for two hours. I, I don't know. That this is really disturbing, actually. That after I handed them my phone and I gave it to the Apple store for them to work on, I felt lost. Really. I mean, I had this, like, little mini panic attack inside of me like well what if somebody wants to get in touch with me well what if I get a text or what if you see because I couldn't let go of my phone for two hours think about that think about that what if our connection to God was like that like I can't go two hours without God in my life right rather than my phone in my life but you know what if that phone dies now, I'm not saying trade out your soul, but when your phone dies, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Do you just chuck in the trash cans? Oh, that phone's done. I'm done with that phone. 
Or do you like just put it in a drawer somewhere and say, no, I'm just going to, what do you do with it, right? You do what? You put it in a charger. You, you charge it up again, right? You, you, you do that. Here's the thing. Our souls are the same way. But our charger is not, a, you know, is not anything else in this world except God. Our charger is this, resting. You know, because what you do is you basically put your phone in a state of rest so that it can recharge. Your soul, my soul, needs to be put in a state of rest with God's love. When we're resting in God's love for our soul, it recharges us. It reconnects us. It recreates us. It renews us. So if you're disturbed, difficulty, struggling, if you had a hard time answering that question, how is it with your soul this morning? Rest in God's love for you and your soul. Rest in the surety that God loves you no matter what you're going through and that God is with you right now. God has not abandoned you. Just spend some time reconnecting. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Exactly what Jesus did. You know, when I read the psalm, I actually thought of Jesus' crucifixion. If you read that psalm later today, read through it, and it will remind you of what Jesus went through on the cross. And if you actually go back and think about what did Jesus do the night before his crucifixion. What did he do? He had a last supper, which we're going to do this morning, but he took some friends and he went into creation to a mountain to pray. It's interesting what he said to his friends. He said this to his friends, my soul, my soul, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he was lamenting like psalm 42 and he shares this with his close friends i want you to notice what he doesn't do he doesn't say to his friends hey guys let's go get a beer chill tonight's my last night let's go grab a beer or hey let's go have a steak dinner guys because you know i want to have a good meal before my crucifixion or let's go uh reconnect with uh our wives or some women he doesn't say that he doesn't say let's go watch a movie because they didn't have movies but you get the point but he didn't say those things that those were not the connections that he sought after for his soul food wasn't going to fill his soul entertainment wasn't going to fill his soul alcohol wasn't going to fill his soul all these things that we often turn to to try and connect to to refill us, we're not going to fill the soul. He knew he needed to spend time with God. And he took some friends with him to pray with him. Now they fell asleep on him, not good friends, but they tried. But that's the state of his soul. The good news is Jesus understands your soul. Jesus understands the state of your soul right now as well. So what are you going to do about it? What will help you reconnect to God today? Maybe you need to go on a hike, see some waterfalls. Maybe you need to come back here next Sunday. Maybe you need to go to a 
monastery. Maybe you need to reconnect to God in Scripture. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer by yourself or with friends and ask some friends to gather around you and pray with you. I don't know. What would help your soul today? So that when you get asked that question, how is it with your soul? You can say, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together.